0: Hello and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine.
1: Phil is, uh, something else today.
2: Sandy, that was a pretty heavy sigh, and we didn't even start yet.
3: I, 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 I felt that over here, Phil. I didn't know what I did not to respond to that.
2: Yeah, well, she was trying to figure out how to start the podcast, but we already did. So, what was the heavy sigh for?
1: I don't know. I feel like you're becoming a little unmanageable.
2: <laughs> Is that like alcoholism? <laughs> yes. Why am I becoming unmanageable? I think I'm just usually, this This is how I am.
1: You're like a gumball machine today with a lot of different colored gumballs for a machine, and you never know which one's going to pop.
2: Melvin, have I been unmanageable today more so than usual?
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that's what I guess I am.
1: But what's really exciting, because my whole body hurts right now, and I'm hoping by... Having our podcast with a massage therapist, somehow the energy will relieve all that is happening. Uh, My back and my shoulders.
2: So, would you like to introduce yourself?
3: My name is Nanette, um, and I am a woman in long-term sobriety.
2: Great. So, you're you're a member of, or you're we asked you to be a guest on the Recovery Matters podcast. Is there a matter? about recovery that you'd like to talk about, first and foremost?
3: Absolutely. Self-care.
2: Okay. What's that mean to you?
3: Hungry, angry, lonely, tired.
2: That's the opposite of, that's what you have to take care of.
3: Exactly. Okay. And that's what we don't. So so I want to create awareness that, and also self-care has become um a, a tagline where people use it as an excuse. Well, I'm just not going to do this because it's self-care. Mm-hmm. And self-care is a lot more, there's a lot more responsibility to that. I'm going to eat this box of Oreos because it's self-care because I'm really stressed out. No, that's a justification. Self-care is taking care of, you know, your your spiritual condition. Making sure that you're, you're fed, new, nutritive food, that you get your
1: rest, that you have contact with other people, you're not isolating. That's self-care. So how did you get to this place of having that, that definition? But tell us a little bit about your journey to get to where this is really something that's important to you. When I came into recovery, I was probably all of a, uh, I was under
3: 120 pounds. So I was not taking care of myself. I was very good at fooling uh, everybody, I guess, because I <laughs> went through massage school high as a kite. But it just made me realize that I like taking care of people and I can't take care of people unless I take care of myself. That was a hard lesson to learn. I uh, entered sobriety, believe it or not, um, after I graduated from the law school. Actually, quite a few number number of years afterwards, when I started to learn more about all, all these ideas that I had that made no sense. I had ideas; they just didn't make sense. I had I had aspirations, I had dreams, but I didn't know how to manifest them. I didn't know if they mattered. So I finished school. I started working on people a few years ago. A sponsor of mine. Well, my sponsors always tell me to get a service commitment a service commitment and you know I, I i do the usual but i wanted to do something more serviceable and i said nanette take massage therapy to women in recovery which i started and then that's why i started self-care for recovery i think massage therapy it's a safe place to just let go it's very intimate it's even your massage therapist i'm not invading your thoughts or your space i'm working on your muscles you can just shut down and relax Close your close your eyes, close your mind, and let your body heal itself. That's what inspired me.
2: I was curious, though. Is that a two way street? As you're working on people, what therapy do you find for yourself as a massage therapist? Did that make sense? No. Yes, and <laughs> Phil, I
3: loved that you asked me that. I work I work in a regular job as a massage therapist and get paid for the massage for recovery. I I donate my time to two different women's. Uh, Facilities, those are the days that I work out, and I feel full
2: does the does the massage therapist go get massages on her own? Do you go get massages? Yes.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I
1: practice when I preach.
2: <laughs> okay, just curious. Um and what else does self-care look like for you? And Sandy, I'm gonna ask you the same question, and I'm gonna ask myself the same question. But what does self-care look like for you today?
3: Making sure that I eat whether I want to or not because I do that a lot. I'm like, oh, I got things to do. I have people to take care of. I'm not going to eat. Huh. That's very impo- That's a very important lesson for me and to everybody else around me. And and drink water. I can go days without drinking water. Not really, but it, it, it's, ha ha. I saw that look, Sandy. Uh, you don't but think those I are, do-
2: those- wait, wait a minute. Wait, time out. Time oh, out. Oh, gosh.
1: He has a glass of water in the morning.
2: A glass of water in the middle of the day and a glass of water when I go to bed. So that's about at least 60 ounces of water.
1: Mm. I'm staying out of this.
2: That's not enough?
1: I think he could be uh, watered. I think, I think he tea. could be watered more frequently, would be my
2: suggestion. And how often do you drink water, Miss Water? I drink least... water
1: all day long.
2: I don't see any. Well, I
1: have tea here right now. Oh, um,
2: but... yeah. Well, okay. And anyway, right, go ahead. You said drink now? water.
1: We're just complicated house plants. We just need water, sun, and food. Um whoa. I love that so much.
2: Water, sun and we're
1: just complicated house plant plants. Humans
3: that- into complicated house plants. We got all these emotions, but basically we just need water, sun, and food.
2: So Sandy, how well do you take care of houseplants?
1: Hey. <laughs>
2: uh, Sandy, I can chill a this.
1: <laughs> There's only one plant. I can keep alive. It's a pothos. It just needs watering once a week and not to be in bright sunshine.
2: Well, there, there you go. So what's self-care look like for you these days? A
1: while back, I stopped receiving work emails on my cell phone.
2: Really? Mm-hmm.
1: On the weekend, I try to take a whole section of day and just do nothing, which I still feel very indulgent doing that like a whole half a day of just doing nothing. Um, And I have to talk to myself a lot that it's okay. It's okay.
2: Well, for me, the spiritual part is really when I take those walks in the woods with Buddy. and The dog. I just, uh, that's a big part of my recovery because I just feel so connected to everything. It's so quiet. It's peaceful. Um... I also love being on the beach, fishing. You know, those are just a, a couple components. I've also recently picked up my indoor rowing game, which also is very meditative to me as well. I just kind of really like that too. Anything is else? Is that
3: a rowing machine or is that a game on your phone?
2: No, it's a rowing machine. It's a, con- a Concept2 rower.
1: He's really good at self-care. He's very good at boundary setting.
2: Except for drinking water, obviously. Except for the water. <laughs> What were you like as a kid?
3: Kind of like what I am now. I'm I'm silly, I'm goofy, I'm curious. I like to learn. I like to try things. Did you grow up in Greenwich? Um, my dad is from Riverside. I grew up a little bit in this area, but we mostly grew up in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. So I had lots of woods to to roam around in New Hampshire. So I appreciate when you get out there in nature. All that really spoke to me and meant a lot. So somewhere between there and where I am now, I lost all that, but now that's all come back.
2: Summarize the process of losing all that. Where where did you get, quote unquote, lost?
3: Always trying to look at how I was brought up. I was brought up, you know, my my parents were married until the day they died. We were raised to say, yes, please. You know, we weren't beaten, we weren't neglected. We were fed, we were clothed, we went to school. Um, We had family events. Somewhere my mind just went rogue. By the time I got to be about 13, 14, I started to be a little bit pushing the boundary. And my parents were always at work. As I got older, they trusted us more home alone. Went to places that I didn't need to go. And there was nobody pulling me back. There was a kid up the street, his sister had a drug problem. I had no idea what that meant. I loved reading biographies. I loved reading autobiographies. and I loved reading um, particularly from artists. And there was a lot of artists, right down from Rita Kahlo to, to Vincent van Gogh, They were tortured, troubled souls that relied on drugs and alcohol and pain and misery to be creative. I'm like, that's for me. That's for me. (laughs) And I romanticized it.
1: Yeah.
2: And so you started to use substances.
3: Oh, heck yeah. The first uh, drug I uh, ever did was LSD. I just went right
2: to the top. No kidding.
1: How old were you? Um, I was a sophomore in high school. Wow. That that's courageous.
2: Yeah, and what was that like for you? What happened?
3: Somewhere between so in social studies, I realized that I had to get the hell out of school, out <laughs> of school real fast because I wasn't going to make it through the day. <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 Well,
3: and I don't know where I went after that, but yeah, I had I had to get out. Everything everything was starting to like really change quickly, uh, and I will always remember that. And I and and it opened my mind. All those years that I started to lose myself because it was fun. It was fun in the high school, right? In a few years after that, I moved to Philly during that whole punk thing. It was fun, but then it started to get ugly. When I came into recovery, one of my first interview um, in an outpatient program, they said, oh, you don't have a problem. You're just ambivalent. I love that. I I don't have a problem. I can drink. I can drug. I'm just ambivalent. I had no idea what that word meant. The same thing with hope and faith. When I came in, I had no idea what those words meant. Hope and faith. But now I sit and I realize all the times that I was cold, lonely, unhappy, I was always saying, and I didn't believe in this person. God, there's got to be a way out of it. So I'll tell you I don't believe in God and I have no hope and faith, but I would pray, God, you've got to get me out of it. When people say, I don't believe in God, but weren't there times you were so miserable and you said, God, there's got to be a way out. It, it may not be God of our childhood, but it, it's some greater spirit that we're asking for help. was this spark that got you to start your recovery. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2001. And the doctor, my neurologist at the time, sent me to um, a psychiatrist because they thought I might need some help processing the diagnosis. The psychiatrist I had, I said, you know, I've got this problem. I just love to smoke pot all day long. And I work in a restaurant. We drink all the time. And he's like, that's no problem. Okay, I'll take that to the bank and run. Um, He left for a private practice. I got another... Psychiatrist, and she, I was talking to her about it, and she said to me one day, why are you doing the things that you're doing when you have a neurological disorder? It just doesn't seem smart. That got me. She challenged my intelligence. <laughs> um, I still went kicking and screaming into recovery. She hooked me up with a therapist, and they eventually got me into IOP at Greenwich Hospital. But it was, it was that challenge of my intelligence that made me think, hmm, I'm going to show you
2: so, tell me a little bit about your, was it your IOP at Greenwich Hospital, was this your first sick treatment experience or not? Yes. And how did you take to it? What, what do you remember of it? What was it like?
3: Uh, I would come in high.
2: So, when you say you get high, what were you getting high on?
3: Oh, I was smoking a joint on the way from <laughs> work to go to IOP. Um, and I always it's had funny. something in the car for the ride home where I'd have a drink when I got home. Uh, um. One of the counselors said to me one, one night, and this scared me straight. He said, I see what you're doing. He goes, and you're not fooling anybody. And I was so embarrassed. And again, it was like the, the psychiatrist telling me that, you know, you're, you know, you're smart, but why you do this? And again, it was like, well, then I'd better, and again, well, I'm going to show you, I've got to do this really good. By the time I finished IOP, I was like the poster child. Um, I took to it because things started to get better. Mm -hmm. I started communicating with people and
1: enjoying it. Kind of like doing right now with you or with, with anybody that I get to a dialogue with. Yeah. We were just talking, um, in a previous podcast about, you know, that the person has to want it, but there's a lot of things that you can do to help plant those seeds that make it so obvious that it's the next step. It sounds like they knew how to do that. And then you you you. have to water them.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, and you were a massage and, therapist and, when and all I this, was really. and you were a massage therapist when all this was going on yeah and and so how is it how did your practice change as you evolved in your recovery?
3: That's a good question. um my practice changed. um I was less of a grumpy massage therapist. it was <laughs> less of <laughs> yeah,
2: oh, you. what's you being grumpy and what is a grumpy massage therapist?
3: <laughs> I would just come and do the work. Oh, uh, okay. But I got to tell you, even when I was I was active and I was doing that work again, that was that was a God moment for me. It was it was my my um, retreat to a quiet, safe place, mm-hmm. even as a therapist. Yeah, so
1: that was very healing. So I mean, I was grumpy going into it, but when I left, there was something that touched my spirit.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I have a family member with MS, and so I know some of the limitations with that. So it really is remarkable that you're able to be a Massage therapist, which I know takes a lot of muscle to to be able to do what you do. Um, how do you manage that? I I definitely think I'm aging. I'm definitely aging out of this.
3: Um I'd like to uh, hire some therapists to continue with my project, self care for recovery, which I'm I'm working on uh, because addiction is everywhere, and I there is a massage I do have. Colleagues that are in the rooms or are okay. seeking recovery and they want to give it back. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, but yes, yeah, get more of the younger people to get out there and do it. And I can do more teaching or talking because I love talking.
2: Uh-huh. You were at multiple pathways of recovery. You recou-
3: know what I love? I, I mean, oh, go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was, that was my motivation to getting to the to the conference and being a presenter and when I saw the list of presenters I was over the moon there was a yoga instructor acupuncturist Ta- Tara I loved her um, Megan Perry with, with that art and storytelling these were all multiple pathways to self-care reaching into your to your your inner spirit your inner soul and, and because it's a whole body mind my my this is body mind spirit it's not just you know dealing with the physical or the mental, we've got to put it all together. The fact that they were all there presenting just put a big bow on this whole event for me.
2: What did, what was it? The...
3: I don't know if you noticed, I had a really great time.
2: Yeah. Well, that's great. So i I'm, I'm super appreciative. I'm curious, how would you summarize what you talked about and what you wanted to express?
3: There or here?
2: Well, there, I mean, what was the essence of your work, your presentation?
3: We're always seeking something to make us feel good, right? It's that that whole that whole dopamine receptor, and we and, and with all our time using or drinking or drugging, can I swear? Yes, we really fuck that network up. Uh-huh. Um, there are ways to get that back: acupuncture, Tara with with Reiki, and all those other those energetic healing, energetic body work. There are other ways to get that besides doing your medication and seeing your doctor and seeing your therapist, all of this, all of this is a, 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 multidisciplinary path to healing, but touch is very vital. And one of the things that I did with this, with my presentation was I gave everybody a blindfold. One person would sit blindfolded, the other person would be the, the giver and they would sit behind her and I would give them a prop without the, without the receiver knowing, I want you to feel my favorite word, in ambivalent, like you don't want them to be here bored to tears, what the hell are we doing? Put your hands on them and keep that attitude in your mind. And then we they would keep their hands on that person for a while. And then they would take them off and then we would discuss it. Um, the second round was prayer. Put your hands on this person in a prayerful manner. Touches is very powerful. That was what I was I was trying to, to express. That was one of the things that we did. I loved it. I loved hearing what people said and they got it. Uh-huh. So that's why massage is... With a qualified person, with somebody who's going to come in with no agenda, they're just going to be present, but they're going to be focused and put your, their hands on you. Let your body
2: lack. What's the energy you have in your hands when you're working on somebody? Does it shift from person to person? As you're always, think, yeah.
3: My focus is when I'm working on somebody. I just, I just open up and i just kind of let the universe take me to what needs to be done.
2: And that there's also some energy work, what hand... energy work associated with that, along as you're actually working on the muscles to loosen the muscle.
3: For me, absolutely, because I've I've also taught acupressure in a massage school for many many years, so I'm all about the cheek.
2: Yeah, cool.
1: But I think massage therapists in general are intuitive. Listen. We were just talking recently that Phil's only I've only ever had two massages and Phil has had one, um, and how did you feel during that?
2: It was actually, it was a very similar to experience what Nanette was describing. I I went over to Vietnam and had a a Vietnamese young woman. And I just, when I was on my stomach and she just started working, I just kind of went into a zone and just let her work on my muscles. And, And when I was done, I felt that was pretty cool. But I haven't actually ever pursued or had a desire to go have another one, so I don't know. I don't know what that is about me. But maybe I do. Right. Know.
3: Well, it's not. But it's it's not for. And,
2: uh-huh. and
3: not everybody has to do that. Do uh-huh. you? You know. Do you get acupuncture? I mean, do you see an acupuncturist when you feel out of sorts? Sometimes when I'm really, really angry and stuck emotionally, I will get acupuncture. First, yes. just because I know I'm just no certain channel in my body. They're blocked. Stick some needles in me, move that. She get it through
1: there.
2: I've never done that either. Have you?
1: No, but I've been thinking about it. Have you? I have.
2: Well, she also likes to get tattoos. She loves the way that feels. Okay. So.
1: Yeah. I have one tattoo. Let's not let make it like a thing. Oh, all right. It, just it, the, the sensations are very different.
2: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> Basically, needles don't bother me. Mm-hmm. Even though I did not have a injectable addiction.
2: Nanette, how do you take care of your recovery today? What's your tapestry of recovery look like?
1: My
3: tapestry of recovery is I have a sponsor. I have sponsees. I go to meetings. Obviously I work in, uh, I, one of the places I go to is, uh, families and recovery program, liberation, Bravo,
2: mm-hmm.
3: for uh, house up in Norwalk and then Reagan house in Port Chester. So I'm always around women in recovery. I get a couple emails in the morning, you know, today's gift, a note from the universe. So there's always literature around. Um, I do take service commitments because, you know, those sponsors can be really ball breakers. <laughs> uh, my sponsor, the women caller, Tony Soprano. Um,
2: <laughs> I like that. I like that.
3: That's what my recovery looks like. I I, I stay active. But I also think just starting this project self care for recovery keeps me involved in it uh-huh. i have to be aware i have to be aware of the
2: sick and suffering so this is your forum too is there anything as we wrap up that you would like to add that you want people to know about you or your practice or about recovery
3: coming in here and thinking the word ambivalent meant something good that i did not know it i had no definition of the word hope faith was just a, a hollow word the things that I've learned about myself, the joy that I've got from life, why did, was I spending all that time denying myself? I want to share that with people. Stop, stop hurting yourself, because you're not hurting anybody else. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I used to drink at people. I used to get high at people. I'll show you. And It took me a long time to realize I'm drinking the poison and you are not dying. Uh-huh. I, 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 I just want to share that that awareness with people. I want, I want people to. Feel loved and be loved, and I want to buy the world a Coke. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's on. I am sure it is a wonderful gift with with people newly in recovery that you know you share your gift of massage with them. So, um, pretty special.
2: Yeah, I I think too about what you were saying about drinking at people, and and it is curious to me now that I've had you know went over the 35-year mark and seen many people think that alcohol and drugs are solution to their problem. When it is the problem, uh, think- I mean, when our book tells us that we can be happy, joyous, and free, I thought that's what alcohol and cocaine made me happy, joyous, and free. It was so far from the truth. It was like the ultimate lie, and uh-huh. yeah, all that, all that freedom, the joy, the contentment, the serenity, all comes from recovery, which to me is a journey toward self-awareness. You seem very self-aware. Yep, Nanette.
3: I, I, I make it. I make it a practice. I really, really do because I can't help others unless I help myself.
2: Yeah, and, and, and that, I have to be. On, yeah, I have to
3: be on the beam to do that.
2: Yeah, that shines through. So thank you for taking the time with us today. I appreciate you and your work very, very much. This was fun. All right.
1: But then but then you two were fun.
0: Yeah. Continue.
2: Thanks,
1: Matt. It was great to see you again.
0: Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at C-C-A-R, the number 4, Recovery. And on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag Recovery First to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at ccar.us. Fire Feeds Fire. So if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.